0: A very story. Today, or this week, was my first column in the East Orange Paper. Okay. And I'm calling the column Doddtown Pride. Right. That's going to be my column, published, Lord willing, every week. Oh, and uh, uh, I, I want to tell you what my first question was that I wanted to deal with. How does a neighborhood become a community? What makes a neighborhood good? I've lived on Brighton Avenue between Dodd Street and Fair Street for 35 years, and I'm proud to be part of Dodd Town. In fact, I call my column Dodd Town Pride. Thanks to my favorite public servant, Milton Hobbs, He's giving me a shot at writing about my beloved East Orange, the best-kept secret in Essex County. Back to my question, what makes a neighborhood good? And even more importantly, what transforms a neighborhood into a warm, loving community? And I, I, I think that I already, everybody over the age of 50 already knows the answer to this question because you... You remember when you were a kid how much fun your neighborhood could be? I remember I was telling Conrad this morning. There was a guy next door to my parents' house. His name was Gil and he used to yell out to the neighborhood, everybody on the the corner, he'd say, "Bring over a hamburger, bring over a hot dog. Gil's going to be firing up the grill." And and he would Cooked for everybody in the neighborhood. And it was wonderful. And although he did run over my dog, <laughs> which broke my heart, Pepper. Ran over, ran, ran over Pepper. I'm going to ask Jesus for Pepper back when I get on the other side. So, what transforms a neighborhood into a warm community? Here's what I've noticed about my previous experience. People on the street start to pay attention to one another. We met, Gail and I, we've been walking in the park in Watts Essing Park for the last week. We met Kevin and Gina this week. We just went up to them and said, hello, I'm Scott, this is Gail. And, and they said, well, we're Kevin and Gina. <laughs> it was cool. And I said, They begin to greet each other and actually take a moment to introduce themselves, making sure that they learn their neighbor's name and that they begin to use it. We slow things down just a bit because Jersey is all hustle bustle. Yes? Yes. It's crazy. Every time you get on the road, it's frenetic. And if you don't slow it down a little bit, if you don't take a breath, you miss everything. Have you figured out about how half of life is just paying attention and slowing things down? Couldn't Brighton Avenue do with a few more how you doings being dropped into the conversation? I'm also in love with our lovely green space in East Orange. Props to the Parks Commissioner for providing such an awesome green space in Watts Park. It demonstrates that our quality of life in East Orange matters to people who have the power to make a difference. And every time I walk in the park and I see the careful attention given to providing a place for kids to play safely, it's like a little kiss on the cheek from local city government. It's the simple things that says people matter. It doesn't have to be remarkable, just just making sure that there's a safe place for kids to play, and and there's no concrete, it's soft. I love it. I've made a suggestion for our local, it got me a meeting with the mayor for our local elementary schools. Now, maybe Sheila and Mr. Ruth can straighten me out on this point. I made a suggestion to the local elementary schools particularly those within walking distance of watts Park. What if the surrounding elementary schools adopted watts Park as their ecology project, and a different, at different points, a few classes of, say, fourth and fifth graders made a, a pass through the park picking up refuse? Remember when you were a kid, you weren't allowed to throw Candy wrappers away. My father used to, he'd say, "I'll stop the car if you throw anything out the window. You'll have to get out and pick it up." But you know, I it seems like kids don't know that anymore. And I'm thinking, okay, well, who's teaching them? And I I said, I said it it could make a, it could be made a big deal by the local police. They could provide security. and some positive role modeling. This is a simple public relations action that will go a long way towards creating more positive vibes between the police and the community. I have one more suggestion. All right, this is on my first column. Last year, Maplewood did a thing and they held their, they call it Wood, Maple Woodstock. And it was a smashing success. Los Lobos was the headliner, and they were incredible. I'd love to see something as hip as that done in Watts-Essing Park. How about making it funky for Doddtown? See if we could get the average white band to perform. bunch of honkies from Scotland. And uh, just, just imagine Watts-Essing Park packed with Bloomfield residents and East Orange residents kicking it with the average white band. (laughs) I think it could work. And you know, these communities have money for this kind of stuff. Uh, So that's my first project. My second project is to investigate why there aren't more solar panels in these urban neighborhoods. If anybody needs solar panels, it's people. I I talked to the uh, secretary at at Milton's office. I said, let me ask you a question, Miss. What was your fuel bill in the month of December? She said it was $1,200. I said, were you able to pay it? She goes, they shut it off. I said, really? How'd you get it back on? She said, I had to come up with some money. I said, I'd love to get some of that renewable energy. And it turns out, check this out, kids. HUD has earmarked $250 million to make it possible for these lower socioeconomic communities to get solar panels. I want some of that renewable energy myself. Come on, kids. Wouldn't you put a solar panel on your roof if you didn't have to pay anything for it? (laughs) I think Mr. Ruth would even go for that. Yeah. All right, so I want to talk this morning a, a little bit about an apocryphal story. A holy man was having a conversation with the Lord one day and said, Lord, I would like to know what heaven and hell are like. And so the Lord led this holy man to two doors. He opened one of the doors and the holy man looked in. In the middle of the room was a large round table. In the middle of the table was a large pot of stew, which smelled delicious and made the holy man's mouth water. The people sitting around the table were thin and sickly. They appeared to be famished. They were holding spoons with very long handles that were strapped to their arms and each found it possible to reach into the pot of stew and take a spoonful but because the handle was much longer than their arms they could not get the spoons back to their mouths the holy man shuddered at the sight of their misery and suffering the lord said you have seen hell they went to the next room and opened the door it was exactly the same as the first one There was a large round table with a large pot of stew which made the holy man's mouth water. The people were equipped with the same long-handled spoons, but they were well-nourished and plump, laughing and talking. The holy man said, I don't understand. It's simple, said the Lord. It requires but one skill. They have learned the secret to happiness. Feed each other. It's simple, said the Lord. Learn how to feed each other. The early Christian writer described how the first Christians fulfilled their commitment to care for each other. Aristotelian, a Greek Christian of the second century, gives us this picture. Listen carefully to this. This is remarkable. They love one another and they do not overlook the widow and deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. He who has supplies the needs of him who has not without grudging. If they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof and rejoice and over him as a real brother, because they call themselves brothers, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And whatever one of their poor passes from this world, each one of them, according to his ability, gives heed to him and carefully sees to his burial. And if they hear... One of their number is in prison or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah. All of them anxiously minister to his needs and if possible, redeem him and set him free. And if there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they, listen to this, they fast two or three days to supply the needy with what they need. At the end of the second century, The African Christian, Tertullian, adds these details. On the monthly day, if he likes, each puts in a small donation, but only if it be his pleasure, and only if he be able. For there is no compulsion, all is voluntary. These gifts are taken to support and bury poor people, to supply the wants of boys and girls' destitute of means and parents. And of old persons confined now to their house, such too as have suffered shipwreck. And if they happen to be in, in, in the mines or banished to the islands or shut up in the prisons for nothing but their fidelity to the cause of God's church, they become nurslings of their confession. A modern historian, Ignini Giordana, offers these descriptions. Assistance was given to all who could be reached but it was given first of all to the companions in faith and in all in the spirit of brotherhood. Although the good which is done to strangers is greater, wrote Tertullian, it has not come before that which is due to one's neighbors. Because the Christians loved one another as brothers and called one another by that name so that it could be said that they love one another almost before they know one another. Imagine on Lenox Terrace, all of a sudden, everybody starts greeting each other by their first name. And the ne- Ke- I asked Kevin, what would you do to change Lennox Terrace? He said, I'd organize a meal. I guess Gail would be the cook at that meal. <laughs> uh, I think I'd be grilling. <laughs> Rodney Stark in his, okay, one of the things, the virtue of hospitality was practiced on a vast scale. Since every Christian traveling for business, necessity or relaxation immediately sought out the Christian community when he arrived, and in, in it, he did not feel a stranger. This is from Ignini's book, The Social Message of the Early Church Fathers. Rodney Stark, in his book on the rise of Christianity, makes these observations. Two widespread spread and early epidemics One in the mid-2nd century and one in the mid-3rd century played a significant role in the spread of Christianity for the following reasons. Christians cared for one another, leading to greater survival rates. This, in turn, led to increased proportions of Christians in urban centers, which meant more people's lives intersected with the networks of Christians. Just imagine on your street, You set a goal. I'm going to make sure I learn everyone's name. I'm going to introduce myself to them. And when I see them, I'm going to greet them as a neighbor. What is that accounts for this remarkable quality of life? I want to suggest to you that it was the Holy Spirit at work in the life of the Christian community working out the implications of one passage Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is a very profound idea, that the most important testimony to the believability of Christianity is expressed In transformed relationships. I want you to take a look at Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 20 to 32. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you heard about him. And were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self. Which belongs to your former manner of life. And is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put aside falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. See how important it is to be transparent with your neighbors. It, it It's it's. it's very easy to judge and to condemn and criticize. Paul tells us here, Having put aside falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with your neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who are here. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. See, this is all about the power of the Holy Spirit in a church. Giving us the capacity to bear with one. You know, when... Ralph Mazura called me, many of you old Lammies remember when Ralph robbed my house, broke into my basement. I. The next day he came over and he helped me put bars on my basement windows. He had been the one that broke in and he took Gail's wedding ring and he, he took stuff we wanted. <laughs> he didn't take things that we didn't want. I wish he would have taken my old VHS tapes, <laughs> but he didn't. And uh, when he called me up, he, he, he said, Pastor, is there any way you could find it in your heart to forgive me? I said, of course, I can. And uh, it, it was a sweet thing. You know, some sometimes it's not that easy to let people off the hook when they've messed with you, taken advantage of you, hurt you in some Significant way, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is all about transformed relationships. Jesus, would you not be disappointed if you got to heaven and you saw people that you were squabbling with? (laughs) You'd be ticked, right? What? What's this kind of deal as this? I'm in heaven. Everybody's supposed to get along. <laughs> well, don't you think there's going to be some accounting that all of us will probably have to answer for some dumb comments we made when we were on Earth? <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll maybe say, uh, maybe we'll have a chance to straighten out old broken relationships that we never straightened out on, on Earth. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now consider what Paul is calling us to here, a certain quality of relationships that are the direct outcome of authentically embracing Jesus's words in John 13:34 and 35. Put aside falsehood. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. There's a certain kind of transparency that ought to characterize the life we live together in a community. This is the very thing Christ shed his life to obtain. My way of expressing Paul's thought here is authentic Christian community is a place where people actually talk about, pray for, and share the life that they're, they're really living. Not the one they, they'd like others to think they're living, but the actual life that they're walking out together. My question to you is this. How do you get this kind of life in a church community? What do you have to do to get it? Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. There's a certain way in which anger is to be dealt with in the church. It doesn't mean that we don't get angry with one another. It just means that we learn how to do that without letting it lead us into sin. When people get angry, there are a whole bunch of things they tend to do rather easily. Raise their voice, gossip, think badly of a person with whom they are angry, avoid them, you can see how these things are detrimental to the community. Once again, the question is this, how do you get this kind of life that Paul believed was possible? Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may be able to have something to share with anyone in need. Now, there's an obvious and literal way this that we can think about this. Stealing from one another is pretty destructive when it comes to the community. As you know, I've had some experience with that. But I think Paul had something larger in view when he was talking about that. How many times have I heard in 35 years of church life, I've heard people say this statement, no one's reaching out to me. No one's reaching out to me as though See, I think Paul, when he was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words. Do honest work with your own hands that you may have something to share with. So invite somebody over for a meal. And open your home and have them in. Do things that show forth honest work. You know, so you make a meal. I know it's a, it's a bit of a hassle. You know, usually Mrs. Persley does it. She's very good at it. She made some awesome tuna the other day with with uh, what was in it? Hummus. Hummus. and it was magnificent on a, on a on a wrap. It was maybe the best tuna I ever had in my life. I say, I Mrs. Persley. So, right. <laughs> yeah, it was it was awesome. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Then Paul says something that is perhaps the most challenging aspect of loving one another well, the mastery of the tongue. But let me say something which will hopefully encourage you. This is a journey that is in fact a sojourn that is, for the most of us, stretches out over decades. We, we, we change very slowly. And it really can only be done in community. We need each other to sharpen one another. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Paul, in the next few verses, speaks about sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and then focuses on a whole host of sins that are ordinarily associated with anger. Once again, you don't warn people about things they're never likely to do. We do get angry with each other. We, We do think things about one another that we need to make right. Now, I would say that most of us here this morning know the Word teaches us to forgive each other. And in light of the Lord's Prayer... How could we never, ever doubt that again? I can't pray the Lord's Prayer one time without thinking, who do I gotta forgive today? Now, I would say most of us here know this, so I don't think I have to exhort you to to do that. Perhaps no single thing is more characteristic of the people of God than transformed relationships. Take a moment for reflection. Am I experiencing in my church life, this little church, am I experiencing rich, tender relationships? Because isn't, isn't that what it's all about? The love of Christ, we share it together. Now, don't be afraid. Don't turn away. Don't rationalize. Don't make excuses. It might be fear. It might be some prior heartbreak. It might be a lack of effort. It might be some secret sin that you have in your life. It might be poorly ordered life. It happens. You get busy, does it not? And sometimes it's hard to make space, adequate space, to be with people. I think we've got an infection of it here in New Jersey. If we don't take a moment to slow down a little bit, we we we, too much is lost. So what say we we work on that church? What say we we try to do better at paying attention to one one another? And I think the most important work that the church does is to lovingly pray for one another. I don't know of anything more important, considering Jesus composed a prayer for this purpose, than letting yourself be emotionally engaged by your neighbor's needs and praying for them, loving them enough to let yourself feel something. It's okay. It's it's okay to feel a little sad for somebody. Like, I know I'm a little concerned about Ann because she's she, she having a problem with her hip. And I know it's making her hard hard for her to get around. And, uh, you know, you lo- start to lose your mobility and life becomes a bu- kind of a bummer. And uh, so pray for Ann. Pray for... She's going to get her hip at some point fixed, I think, right? Aren't you? But she's got to go out to her daughter's wedding in Joshua Tree. And uh, she's going to have to travel without probably no hip surgery before that, right? You've got to wait till after you come back. It's a big deal. Well, let's, let's ask people... Even just say, Maura Langan, how can I pray for you? Because Mora will tell you. She will pipe right up. <laughs> Ask Sheila Ruth what she needs to pray for. She will give you an answer almost immediately. Won't be any slow response on her. And uh, I know Renee Zinn is not physically as well as she'd like to be. She's got these symptoms that are making her life unpleasant. When you think about it, pray for Renee Zinn. She needs your prayers. She needs you to love her enough to pray for her. All right, let's prepare our hearts for the table now.